Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Gamers Inn. Come on in, pull up a chair next to the fire. It looks like you've had a long journey. I'm your host, Jocelyn, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, Ryan. Hello, Ryan. Hello, hello. Welcome back. Yes, I'm finally, finally back. (laughs) It's, uh, yeah, been a long time since I've been here to record at The Inn. I apologize for my absence, Uh, obviously, new last name. Got married, yay, but then uh, got very, very, very sick. So, so uh, yeah, been been a long, long time since I've been here to record. <laughs> Thanks for yeah. holding down the fort. Oh, no worries. Uh, I mean, I had a great time. We had we had John on the week before the wedding. We had Ben on after the wedding. So Ben and I got to relive some table six memories. So we shared some some fun stories from the from table six and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you guys seem very excited about the table that we that we put you at. <laughs> we embraced uh, the table six, and uh, it was we we told some fun stories about about the wedding, and uh, I had a great time. Ashley and I both had a great time. Got to meet the first person I ran into at the wedding uh, was Manny because I'm in the parking lot, and, and and there's Manny there. I was like, I said, Ashley, I think that's Manny. <laughs> and then and then he looks over and and we see each other and it's like boom we knew at that moment that okay <laughs> we're meeting each other for the first time and it was great uh ended up uh you know saving people at the end of the day from freezing cuz mm-hmm. cuz his car had broken down so we we sorted that out as well and uh, a lovely uber driver rescued us but it was a fun geeky wedding we had a great time lots of great photos online so people could could live it live it uh as if they were there through Twitter. So that was a lot of fun too. Yeah. Nevermore did a really awesome job of like tweeting out the event. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I was, it was fun for me to go back afterwards and like see all the stuff and all the recordings. Cause we had a photographer, but we didn't have a videographer. So Nevermore like recorded everything. (laughs) She Mm -hmm. was, she was great. She did a great job and it was really fun to hang out with them too. uh, Meeting Ben and Nevermore for the first time as well. So that was, it was it was a great time. Got to meet some new people. Say say hi to some old friends. Like oh, it was really great, really great. Uh, so yeah, I mean, like like I said, it's been a been a while since I've been on here. So I have, even though I've been sick and busy with all the wedding stuff, I have had some time to check out some of the new offerings in gaming. So we have uh, kind of as well jump right into it. I have heard so many crazy bad things about Anthem. So I kind of want to start there because Mm. I mean, I even saw something or uh, Matt was telling me about um, apparently the level one gun that you get was actually killing things faster at max level than any of the max level guns you can get because the like numbers that pop up in combat were like, fake basically they were like filler text so like it would say that the level one gun was doing 100 damage and the end game gun was doing a thousand damage but then the level one gun would kill things faster like what is going on in this game it so here's the thing uh, for for some context i think a lot of and i'm not defending the game but i'm not a day-to-day gamer anymore i'm like a play for a little bit every other day maybe once a week at best and I feel like every day, and I have subscribed to the to the Anthem subreddit, and every day there's something, something new that's <laughs> popped up, something new that people have discovered. Like and in a good way or a bad way? In a how did this game get released way. Oh. Like there and and to 
to my credit in playing this game, I have not come across those issues, like bugs and stuff. Those issues have not surfaced. I have issues of my own, but I'll get into why I, I, I did enjoy my time with it so far. I know it's, there's a short tail on this thing. Like it, it's just like the original destiny in that, like you hit a wall and it's like, what do I do now? But in terms of the issues you've been hearing about the wildest one I've heard again, have not experienced it, but the wildest one is that, and it's been reproduced a bunch of times is that on the PS4, it will, the game will crash, which again, like, okay, games crash, things happen. It's a big open world, very buggy game. However, when it crashes on your PS4, it actually hard shuts down the PS4. Mm-hmm. And then you're, th- you're thinking like, okay, it, shut downs, it shuts down the computer. Sometimes that happens. We all lived through the blue screen of death. We've all been there. Uh, but no, it's worse. So when it actually shuts down your PS4, it forces the PS4 to do what's called a, uh, a database check, which is, you know, not the most comforting thing to have a game like crash your PS4, shut it down. And then when it reboots, the first thing you're greeted with is hold on while we make sure all your shit is still there. Um, so a lot of people have been freaking out about that and it has been confirmed to be uh, a pretty nasty bug. Mm-hmm. But this is the this is the weird age we live in where games launch and sometimes they're just really broken. And it for for some reason, I wouldn't even call this slipping through the cracks. I'd say this is the new norm of what of, of what is acceptable on these platforms, which is kind of sad when you think about it. Oh, because- I am totally on board because I was going to talk about after we went through a lot of other things, I was going to talk about mm-hmm. Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And it's funny because my experience in that game has been mostly positive, but like right from the get go, I'm noticing and not like bugs that are going to like crash my my PlayStation or anything like that. But like loading screens in weird spots like all the time and things like um, I'm riding my horse like through the woods and people on the road will jump out of the way. And it's like, I'm still in the starting zone. I'm still on the first Island. So it's like anyone who did any kind of testing of this game would have noticed. Mm. And it's just like, it's like little, um, call them, I guess like maybe finishing touches. And in, in the case of Anthem, it sounds like it's not even finishing touches. Like it's worse than that. But you know, like even like all of those little pieces of polish that it felt like we used to get in games it's like the bigger the experience and the longer and lar- longer the story and the larger the world, they're just not bothering to fix these kind of smaller things, which I think is really unfortunate because those little things are the things that you experience like time and time again in your little like micro area of the world where your character's standing, right? Like, yeah, you might experience some bigger, larger story, but you're always going to see, you know, those weird interactions with the villagers. And it's like it's like arrow to the knee from Skyrim, where every mm. NPC said the same line and nobody caught that for some reason. It's like now it's the same. It's like the villagers are always jumping out of my way, even when I'm 50 meters away from them. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> it's it's like, uh, you know, the anti scene from um the opposite of what they experienced in Austin Powers where the guy's like standing 50 feet away and then he's not reacting to the steamroller moving at, mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, a foot per per minute type thing. And, you know, I, I think when it comes to Anthem, a lot of these bugs, like they deserve, and this is the other thing too, we've actually, in a day and age, like way back, uh, w- w- you know, not even a console generation ago where games would come out and if they were, 
uh, like maybe let's say two console generations ago, games would have to come out in a, in a shippable state where if there yeah. was a bug, it was a huge issue because patching wasn't this widespread thing. And, and now you've got games that can be heavily patched, but you also have this lovely thing called, you know, instant feedback and social media. So yeah, as soon as true. something is bad, like Anthem, the issues are, are, are bubbled to the top and EA and Bioware have experienced this before with Andromeda, Mass Effect Andromeda, where they released the game a week early through their EA Access platform. And I played Anthem for 10 hours with my EA Access uh, basic, I guess it's called. There are a couple of tiers. And you basically get to play a, a beta of the game, not a beta, but a pre-release version of the game because it's missing its day one patch. And a day one patch is essentially the critical patch for any game that comes out. It's the thing that people say, oh, no, wait, there's a day one patch. But they're letting you play this game very publicly a week before release. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the issues, uh, like bugs and stuff, pre-release, that was those were causing great concern. And again, I didn't experience those. But in a world where the Internet is king, anytime an issue pops up with a major triple a game, people jump on it and they harp on it. And I, and I think, uh, the game deserves its criticisms. However, like I did have fun once I switched out to, I think the last time you and I talked about it, I played the, the, the beta demo or whatever. And I had played as the Ranger. And then right at the last minute was able to switch up and check out, I think the storm. So there are four different types of javelins in this game. And I decided when I got started with my EA Access play, I would try a different one. So I tried the Colossus, which is the big sort of the, the easiest comparison to, to everyone would be the the Marvel uh, Tank Buster, like the, the Iron Man or not Tank, but Hulk Buster armor. So you're this big Hulk and mech and you're running around and the, the so kind the of like a tanky warrior kind of character. Yeah, so I'm playing a tanky warrior type character. And and the thing is, like, all of the mechs, the combat, it feels really good. Like, they nailed the weight of, of the mech. They nailed sort of the shooting, the the gunplay, the, the mechanics of your abilities. So my Colossus, he has the ability to, sometimes he has, like, a shotgun blast. He can put up a shield, and it's really cool because, like, while you're flying, you can put up the shield and kind of dive bomb people. So there's... The mechanics of the mechs are really cool, but it's like you start to peel away at the game by, oh, well, the the story sections in Fort Tarsus, so the hub world, where when you're not out doing missions, you're coming back to Fort Tarsus and it's like, oh, you completed a mission, now a bunch of conversations have opened up. And as we talked about three or four weeks ago, like, very slow to move through fart for fart tarsus fart tarsus sometimes, <laughs> sometimes feels like fart tarsus that's a show <laughs> title um but it's very slow to walk through fort tarsus as you're like progressing and talking to these characters and sometimes talking to characters is optional sometimes talking to characters on the other side of map other side of the map is your your mission update like to progress the story you have to do this and it is quite slow to walk across and and these conversations, I mean, this is not new criticism, but like, if I don't know if you remember Mass Effect 3, like by the time they had nailed that game, the conversations you were having pe with people were very active and engaging. And the characters weren't just standing there with the half camera, right? You just yeah. see their torso up and they're kind of like moving their hands a little bit. You know, 
they've gone back to that in Anthem where it is the three quarter shot and it's just one dude sort of moving arms a bit. It almost sounds like they spent a lot of time on the mech and the combat and making Mm -hmm. that work and feel good, which I think is a good thing. But then they then didn't kind of design enough of a game around that, you know, like they had something that worked and felt good. And then they were like, well, but how do we use this? Where do we use this? Okay, let's make Anthem, you know? Yeah. And, and I know, you know, I've heard rumblings that like the Fort Tarsus area was kind of like put in last minute, like not last minute in terms of game dev in like in the last year, which is Mm. in a game that has been in development for seven years. That is the last minute. Um, And it just, it's not the strongest part of the game. So like I, for me, it's like, well, and, and it, you're encouraged to play with friends. So I was playing with Belanger. We were both having a great time running around, shooting things. Uh, Belanger's a friend of mine for those listening. Uh, and just having a really fun time tearing around, you know, in Anthem, shooting things up and just generally tearing things up as mechs. And it's really cool. But then you hit this screeching halt when suddenly like, oh, I don't have a mission to do. So I have to go back to Fort Tarsus and talk to a bunch of people. So like, you're back at the hub, hub, hub world, you're talking to people and you're trying to listen to what they're saying. Cause like half of it is interesting. Some characters are more interesting than others. And then you're also trying to have conversations with your friend and it's, it's a bit off putting. Like I remember when they sold the game at E3 a couple of years ago, they're like, yeah, it's like a multiplayer world, but then you have your own story and it's like, but it's so kind of, jarring to go from the multiplayer world and then jumping over to a world where you're just expected to mute your friend and listen to a bunch of weird conversations. Oh, I see. So you have to take, you have to take a lot of time out of playing with your friends to listen to this story and it doesn't flow nicely. It just doesn't flow as well. Cause like when you're playing the game, you're, you're hearing everything that other people are hearing. So if you like, you know, me and Matt, we play games in a similar fashion where when someone's speaking and we're trying to listen to the story, we both quiet down and we listen to that and then we mm-hmm. start talking again. So there's that general understanding of how to how to enjoy the game. But then when you're in Fort Tarsus, it's it's your story. Um, but it's not really your story. You you're just talking to people at different times. Like right. my story is no different from anybody else's story outside. So yeah, of anyone who of, goes like, and talks to NPC A is gonna get mm-hmm. the same voiceover the same dialogue options like the actual story doesn't change just like maybe the order that you approach things in is different i mean yeah i talked to the guy from brooklyn 99 before i talked to the guy from 30 rock but at the end of the day those are two for you i don't know their names but it's like Boyle from brooklyn 99 and then the weird bellhop guy from 30 i never yeah. seen 30 rock <laughs> and um there are some Wait, dialogue whoa, whoa, choices. Whoa. You've never what? seen 30 Rock? Okay, we need I've, to stop the show right now and you need to go binge watch all of 30 Rock. I'll wait. What's the guy's name? The bellhop guy. Kenneth. He, he has a Kenneth. Okay. And well, I and he's also like the fix it guy from Wreck It Ralph. Yes. Isn't he? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I don't know his actual name. I just know he has a funny voice. Um and in this he plays a straight guy. He like he plays the straight man. Like he he is not his normal jokey self. He kind of it's weird. You don't hire that guy and then tell him to be just talk normal. It's like what you know. And same thing with Boyle. Although they give they give Boyle's voice actor, he, they let him ham it up. But you get the guy from Thirty Rock or Wreck It Ralph, and it's like, nah, we want you to play 
like the normal suave bartender. It just doesn't work. <laughs> and again, like all these things, these are little little critiques, but I think with Anthem, it's it's uh, it's death by a thousand cuts. You know, like the combat's great. Running around as, as a mech is really fun. Um, but then you start to weigh in, like it's a Bioware game and the, the story, uh, the story game, the story setup and the structure is not that great. Um, the combat's a lot of fun, but the enemy variance is is kind of subpar. Like there are three, there are three enemy types. Um, there's the Scar, the Outlaws, and then the New Dominion. And the New Dominion and the Outlaws are basically just variances on on other humans. Scars are like weird bug human things. I don't know. They're they're weird. You just shoot them and they die. Uh, and then inside those those factions, there are different units. There's like some shielded units. There's some sort of, you know, magic users with shields. But at the end of the day, uh, in the 10 hours I did play, uh, it didn't feel like the enemy variance was, was there. Like I, I was just kind of, I was having fun shooting targets, but I never felt like there was this variance between what I was shooting. It was just enemy in front of me, take them out. Fun taking them out. But like the point of a shooter is to kind of like mix things up with different enemy types. Um, so I'm kind of torn between like, I'm having fun playing this game with my friend, but I'm not, there's just something holding it back. I think it's getting like an unfair sort of not unfair, but like a lot of people are like kicking it while it's down. It kind of <laughs> felt like probably how you felt when Sea of Thieves came out. Like you really, you did like parts of that game or you liked a good chunk of that game. And then it just kind of like a lot of people lobbed onto it. And, yeah, and I think and Sea of Thieves was a better release than Anthem was, like in terms of it being a functioning game and yeah, you know, Sea of Thieves structure, but on the whole was a very good base game mm -hmm. without a whole lot of depth, which the depth from the developer's original vision was supposed to be created by players. And then like they wanted it to basically be like the ultimate pirate sandbox. And people were like, okay, that's fine. But, you know, I have no real reason, like no sense of progression, like why I'm not building towards anything. It's not like there's even a tech tree that, you know, like I can gather materials to eventually build a better cannon or something like there was literally no way to get better, no reward for grinding rep, like all that kind of stuff. So, but the Sea of Thieves itself was it was a good base game and it's slowly gotten better over time. And I, I feel like this is kind of like the, again, calling card of the modern video game because we have, like you mentioned, patching earlier on because they can they can constantly iterate on games, make them better, add DLC, add patches, you know, whatever the case is. It's like the stuff that we're getting now, it's almost to the point where Unless it's like an indie title that's gone through a lot of like, it almost feels like peer review of like a journal. Do you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. a lot of different iterations and, you know, it's had a lot of eyes on it and a lot of feedback and stuff. I feel like the indie title releases when they come out of early access or, or some stuff that isn't even early access, but just like when indie titles come out, they seem to be better experiences now than AAA stuff. And the AAA stuff comes out and day one, it's crap. But then, you know, eventually, eight months to a year later, it's a much better experience. I mean, even World of Warcraft right now, BFA, that's how it feels. Like, we're getting patch 8.1.5 on 
uh, Tuesday. Mm. And it very much feels like they're starting to fix all the things that probably should have just been fixed before the expansion came out. Yeah. And yeah. So it it makes for, sorry, I had to stop and cough there for a second, but it makes, um, makes for really bad day one experiences like day one patches aside, but just like the games that, that AAA studios are putting out now on Mm -hmm. day one, pretty like just subpar substandard. And they get better over time, but it's just like, why wouldn't you just take the time in the first place? Yeah, like I see a lot of people commenting on Anthem that if this this game needed another six months and and maybe in six months, you'll look at and, and what they're promising with the 90 day roadmap and, you know, content going forward. They're promising new events, new story, new content. And and personally, I'm excited by that. Uh, I want to see where this game goes because I like Bioware, but uh, I need to I need to kind of see that progress. Now, you know, with this game, a lot of people have checked it out via EA Access like I did or EA Access Premier, where you pay the 15 to 20 dollars, depending on your region. And you get access to all of EA's sort of catalog in the vault, including Anthem. And a lot of people paid the 20 bucks to check it out for the first month and decided like, okay, this the. The gameplay base is interesting. I want to see where this goes. You know, uh, I'll check back in in three or four months. And maybe that's where EA is kind of cool with that. Like they're they're happy to have a subscription game. You look at World of Warcraft, you mentioned as an example. That's a $20 a month game now in Canada. Um, and Anthem would be on par with that at $20 a month to access the game, as well as a bunch of other games in the, in the catalog. The difference being you don't have to have the base game. You don't have to pay an upfront fee to play Anthem. So I guess if you treat it as sort of a an MMO and jump in whenever there's new content, like you can kind of sell it that way. Not to say that Anthem has the same amount of content as WoW. WoW is much more dense in terms of the amount of content. But I, I like that there are options to access this game. And if it weren't for the fact, I think I'd mentioned this before, I had pre-ordered at some wild... I just got a notification like, hey, Anthem's 50% off right now on PC if you if you pre-order from Amazon. So I did end up doing that pre-order thinking like, man, if this game's like hot trash, I'll probably cancel it. But I was kind of like, I could pay 20 bucks for the access premiere to keep going for a month and see where this goes. Or I could just keep my pre-order for like an extra 20 bucks and then have it. But like, that's such a gamble to me, even at like $45, it's like EA could totally walk away from this. And I feel like, I did when Andromeda happened where I said, like, I would not do it. And I know we've had that conversation a couple weeks ago. I was like, oh, Ryan, I know what you're going to do. You're going to do it. And I did do it. Uh, I might, I probably will not. I probably, I don't think I'll regret it because I think, like, they're interested in keeping going with the game. But uh, it'll be fun. Again, I've just had, a, if it weren't for the fact that I were playing with friends, I probably would have canceled the pre-order. Um because I've, I've I've had more fun playing with friends than I have on my own. Yeah, uh, and it is just so much fun tearing around as a mech, and and uh, the the developers have been very active. So I'm not. This isn't going to turn into the Anthem podcast where I sit here and like defend the game every week because it's it's there are parts of it that there are very valid criticisms out there, some of which we've talked about on this show. Um, and I, I just I want to see where it goes. I think it's admirable that they're. They're still out there trying to, you know, talk about fixing some of the loot issues and fixing some of the bugs and stuff that have cropped up. But 
the game's been out now for two weeks, uh, three weeks if you count the the early access and which I think should be counted. <laughs> it oh, it should very well. It's a marketing ploy. So like EA did that to themselves. It's not like they, you know, it just happened to release early for some reason. Like no, it was it was planned, cold and calculated. So I. It's been out for three weeks. It's still got some problems. I don't think it's going to be fixed, quote unquote, but Destiny, when it launched, it had a lot of issues and it took them a year to kind of turn it around. But then Anthem is not releasing, you know, in in a vacuum. It's releasing when Destiny has six years under it, or I guess four years under its belt. You got to look at the competition. You're constantly going to be compared to the competition. And if you're not up to par with the competition, you can't sit there and be what was me. You kind of have to step up to the plate, you know. If you're doing a what, what do they call it? A a schluter, a a, a shooter looter. <laughs> don't call it a schluter. Okay. No one should do that. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I know a lot. A lot of people bounced off it hard, so uh, we'll see where it goes from here. But um, kind of a rocky start for Anthem. Well, yeah. Hopefully, they keep supporting it, but uh, we'll see in the months to come. Uh, so I didn't get a chance to play Anthem, but I did get a chance to sink a decent amount of time into Civ Six, the new uh, expansion that just came out, Gathering Storm. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I have kind of, um, I was going to say like mixed feelings about it, but mm-hmm. I like I do enjoy it and I think it's really cool what they've done. I think I just made a couple of mistakes when I was going in to kind of create my game. So What I ended up doing, obviously, I wanted to try the Canadians. They're one of the new um, civilizations that you can actually play in Gathering Storm. So that was very exciting. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to play the Canadians. This is going to be super cool. Like, we're finally in the game for reals, guys. Yay. Yay. And uh, so I went in to play as the Canadians. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to try a realistic map. And I checked the box that said, like, culturally significant starting zones or something like that. Hmm. That was a gigantic mistake. Oh, my God. I basically played, like, 10 hours of Civ Six and experienced almost no new content. So really, because well, you were just you weren't surrounded by people. You were just out in the middle. No, of because because I had a culturally significant starting zone, and so I kind of figured I would be, you know, in North America and in the kind of upper parts of North America, and then I'd have like Aztecs, and I'd have like maybe like Mayans and and things like that. Like I thought that I would have other civilizations on my continent, but because I had. Um, I guess it was it was either six or eight civilizations total on the map. I can't remember. Um, and they're randomly generated. So mm-hmm. I just happened to be in a game with all European and Asian civilizations. So I didn't actually like I had all of North and South America to myself. So mm-hmm. there was because um, one of the new things is part of a diplomatic victory. It's like a world council. So I couldn't even participate in the World Council because I hadn't met anyone else in the world. So it just kept popping up like you're at a council meeting and it just said an unmet player for the whole entire list of people. And then I couldn't actually like do anything or vote on anything. And nothing I did actually mattered because when I put forward policies, it would be like an unmet player wants this to happen. And I'm like, well, I don't know if I should go for that or not. 
And even then, if I went for the thing, so sometimes it was like um, bonuses to like if you get a city state to follow you or something like that, um, you would get a bonus. And then it's like everyone had to vote on whether they wanted that to happen or not. And also who would get the bonus? So the only person I could vote for was me because I was the only person I'd met. And none of the other civilizations could vote for me because they hadn't met me yet. So I was like, there's literally I'm having no impact and I'm not experiencing this like new diplomatic part of the game because Mm. of these culturally significant starting points. So, yeah, it just and I mean, (coughs) part of that was, like I said, because of the random civilizations that ended up spawning into my game. But yeah, don't don't pick the Canadian culturally significant starting point. Um, cause I, I ended up abandoning that game. Um, probably like, I, I think I was like 300 and something turns into like a 500 turn game. Oh and, wow. You were uh, quite a bit in there. Oh yeah. No, I, cause, because I kind of wanted to stick with it because the, the other thing about the Canadians is that their, um, like cultural, uh, differences, like the, the things that make the, the civilization unique are that uh, no one can declare surprise wars on you, which I thought was really cool. So screw you, Gandhi. <laughs> yeah, and sure. um, your tourism can give you diplomatic favor, which is a new kind of currency. And uh, you also gain 100% more diplomatic favor from completing emergencies. So essentially like from helping other civilizations. So I didn't get any of those benefits because, again, it took me so long to actually meet civilizations. And there were emergencies that had popped up because emergencies are the new thing in um, in the expansion. One of the other new things in the expansion. So there's things like, you know, uh, weather events like giant storms. There's uh, volcanic eruptions, like things like that. Um, And they can create global emergencies that you then have to react to. So. I could see that there were emergencies happening on the map, but I couldn't participate because they were happening to civilizations that I hadn't met yet. So about 300 turns in, finally, I was just like, I had explored all of North and South America. And I was like, all right, this is just like not the experience that I want. So partly the problem with Canada is that, again, you have to um, participate in emergencies and stuff and meet other civilizations, but also their new unit, the Mountie, And their new infrastructure piece, the ice hockey rink, which helps to generate tourism and stuff, is Mm -hmm. um, those things are also modern era things. So you have to wait until you're in the modern era, which happens around like turn like 350 to 400 or something like that. Like it's it's late game stuff. So it's like I didn't get to really see any of the differences that came with being Canadian because even after 10 hours of gameplay, I hadn't hit the new stuff yet because I wasn't in the modern era. So I started in a new game and I played like three to four hours again as Canadian with like, um, I think I spawned like random continents or something like that. And uh, yeah, so changed up the map, but I still haven't experienced what it's like to play with Mounties and ice hockey rinks. And I'm, I'm still I'm a little bit sad about that because but again, it's kind of because I, I picked Canada and I picked culturally significant starting zones. And that was silly. I just I made some mistakes trying to see the content in the new expansion. And uh, I probably could have been smarter about my use of time. But I mean, 
it's it's more Civ. It's a it's a deeper game. It's awesome. Like if you like Civilizations, if you like like Civ Six, this is just more of the awesome. And I like mm-hmm. a lot of the changes that they've made. You also have to power your cities now, which is another new thing that kind of feeds into the emergency because you have to power your cities to get kind of the the industrial and modern era things going. And so part of that is you have to choose how to power your cities. So you can go with like the dirty coal route or you can go with the much more expensive, much harder to maintain, uh, much longer to build, but environmentally sustainable stuff. And if you go with the quick and dirty coal, then you get your other infrastructure stuff is, is ready sooner. But you can trigger global warming and you can trigger like ocean levels rising. And if you do that, if you have any cities on the coast, then they're going to flood. And like, it's, it's so interesting. Yeah, no, I, I didn't get a chance to play this a couple of weeks ago and, and still trying to get more time in it. And I also played as, as the Canadian civilization and it's, it's interesting because I skipped rise and fall. And I, and I know I talked about this earlier, but like if you skipped rise and fall and you pick up gathering storm, which is a more expensive expansion, you get everything from Rise and Fall outside of the the civilizations that were present in it and, and the scenarios. So a lot of content still locked out for you and Rise and Fall goes on sale constantly. But uh, for me, I was just looking for the Canadian Civ and then t- to play all the new stuff that they've added. And I did get to experience, you know, uh, I didn't do the cultural relevant or the world map. I kind of just booted into the, the suggested that you play kind of. Yeah. And it it was a good it was a good mixture. I didn't get too far, but I did experience like the flooding and um no real like global warming type stuff like the climate change, but there yeah, was Yeah, climate lot of, like, change is like stuff. again like super late game, but yeah, some of the mm-hmm. more like natural disaster stuff like the hurricanes and uh rivers can flood and volcanoes. Can, that's the other thing is that like basically the more fertile land and the like better locations for cities are going to be on waterways, but they have the trade off of, you know, they can potentially flood. So the oceans can flood in late game, but the rivers can flood kind of at any time. And it's really cool because it can potentially destroy your infrastructure, but it might leave behind, you know, more fertile farmland. So you might have a plot of land that gives you like one food and one production that after a flood gives you like four food and two production or something. And it's like, oh, wow, that was actually great. Even though it destroyed the farm that I had here, I can build a new farm and get four times the resources sort of thing. So it's a it's an interesting like risk reward type of a of a game now. And I think that the depth that they're adding does impact gameplay from start to finish in a really interesting way it was just kind of unfortunate that i picked a civilization that all the major changes to the civilization happen when you interact with other civilizations and the units and unique structures and stuff were all like super late game stuff so that was that was kind of on me but the actual gameplay with the disasters was really cool yeah no i've I've had a lot of fun with it i want to i want to get further in because i didn't like you i didn't see any of the new cultural sort of stuff for Canada. I mean, you just get, you, you get, you know, a city called Ottawa and, and a couple other Canadian cities as you progress and, and the Canadian anthem kind of plays every once in a while, but it so does, far yeah. that's kind of <laughs> what I've experienced with the Canadian civilization. Although I, I have experienced a little bit more with the, with the gathering storm expansion, but no, I, I, I hear it's a solid addition. 
Uh, and I'm, I'm looking forward to playing more of it for sure. Yeah, it definitely is. And I mean, there are other like bonuses to being, um, to being the Canadians. Like they do, um, you can build farms on tiles that are normally too cold for other civilizations to make use of and purchasing tiles in the North is cheaper. So, I mean, like there are other bonuses that you get all the way through, but it's like all the cool, unique stuff. Like I wanted to build a hockey rink, I wanted to make the Maple Leafs, damn it. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, yeah, we'll get there. We'll I'll get, get there, there eventually. I'll get there eventually. But yeah, I, I do uh, highly recommend it if uh, if Civ is your jam. Mm. Uh, but other than that, I, I kind of I don't necessarily want to talk about this too, too much. Obviously, I talked about it a little bit with the, the Anthem conversation about um like lack of polish, I guess we'll call it. Um, but I did dip my toes into Assassin's Creed Odyssey. This is another title that I really don't think was made with the PlayStation 4 in mind. So I bought it on the PS4. I got it on a 50% off deal on, uh, I think it was on PlayStation Plus last month. And it very much feels like it would run better if I had a PS4 Pro because it's super slow on uh on the just straight up ps4 yeah and you're playing in just you yeah, for the record you have a regular ps4 too right i do yeah yeah it's like i got it shortly after the ps4 launched so yeah i think like it's tough with these open world games like a lot of people aren't necessarily sort of they are talking about the performance on the original consoles but i find sometimes with these larger games it's like yeah, it runs great on the PS4 and Xbox One X. And people aren't really talking about the the previous gens as much. Um, but yeah, I, Assassin's Creed Odyssey is one of those bigger games. And I was playing Origins on the Xbox One and noticed slowdown. But then I played Odyssey on the PC and it's like, oh my gosh, like why didn't it run like this on the console? Like I know it's a different game, but it's, it, you know, they were released a year apart. So I was surprised to find such a vast difference between the two. Uh, but I mean, PC to Xbox, it's like, it's a, it's a big jump. Yeah. Right? Oh, it totally is a, a huge jump in processing power from, you know, my old PlayStation four to my gaming PC and stuff. But uh, it, I do kind of wish that I'd gone the PC route, but at the same time, it's nice to have titles that I can just sit back on the couch and play, especially since I've been sick. But um, with me, it's just like the, the controls are, the controls are fine. And I'm, grasping the combat faster than I did with origins and, and kind of faster than I thought that I would. So mm. I've been impressed with that combat system so far and it feels pretty good. Um, overall Odyssey so far is grabbing me a lot more and I'm playing as Cassandra because that came as like the highly recommended character to start with for, you know, whatever variety of reasons. But I, so I am playing as Cassandra and there's just something about I, I think the problem for me with Origins is that story always felt like they dropped me in halfway through without enough explanation. And mm-hmm. Odyssey has done something sort of similar in that you meet um, Cassandra when she's an adult. But they they establish very quickly like there isn't this larger story for me right now there's just like the dude that found me on the beach when i washed up on the shore took me in and you know kind of um raised me to be this mercenary type character 
and I just live in a village and that's pretty much the extent of the story right now. And it kind of shows you some stuff and hints at some stuff about the Spartans and how she used to be a Spartan and, you know, but she and she was raised until she was what looks like seven to ten. I don't know kid ages that well, but, you know, somewhere around there, you know, something bad happened. Her dad died and her family was taken and she got away and, you know, washed up <coughs> on this beach <coughs> on this island. And it's like that's enough story to keep me interested and going and knowing that there's a larger world and that that's probably going to come into play. But the place where they drop me in the original island where I where they drop me feels very much almost like Horizon Zero Dawn ish, where like when you first meet Aloy, she lives in this very, very tiny space with her dad. And then that expands a little bit to include the tribal village. And then that expands even more to be that whole original zone. And then that opens up to, oh, my God, there's this whole big golden city and, and everything else. Like the the game kind of slowly opened things up and didn't expect you to know a lot. And just when you thought you were hitting the bigger part of the game, they were like, oh, but wait, there's more. And that's the kind of vibe that I'm getting out of Odyssey. And I like that a lot more. It's like they don't overwhelm you from the start, which I thought Origins did. It like dropped you into this fight with this guy who was mad at you for some reason that you didn't know. And then mm -hmm. like it was like, okay, your big goal in life is to, you know, kill these four people or these four warlords or whatever the hell the story was. I can't even remember, but it was like, why? Wait, what's going on? Whereas like Odyssey is very much like hinting at a larger world and hinting at places to go and things to do, but it just lets you experience the small stuff first, which I'm really yeah. enjoying. I think... For me, I played a lot of the Assassin's Creed games, and I think what it comes down to is with Origins, they tried to address the criticism that these these Assassin's Creed games, they start, they start too slow. Like, they ramp you up into the story, into the gameplay, everything, and it's like bit by bit. And that was a major criticism. Then in Origins, they're like, okay, well, what if we drop you right in and you're, you are you got to experience it? So... In Origins, you you do get going pretty quick, but it's kind of like, whoa, it's like being dragged through a crowded room and you don't know which way you're going and you're just, you're bombarded with things. And that's how I felt about Origins. I, For me, if I was able to sit down and be like, okay, I'm going to put 10 hours into this to get to the point where I'm comfortable with this game. Uh, and it just, it didn't grab me. And I know uh, when you originally played Origins, when it came out, that was some of the feedback we got from the sh to the show was like, oh, well, you just got to keep playing. There's a good game there. You just got to get through the first, you know, 10 hours to kind of experience. Which is the, like, that is intro. like, that is like my biggest pet peeve. If a game mm -hmm. takes 10 to 15 hours to get to a place, like, I don't care if it's a 150 hour game and that's like, you know, it takes 10% of the game to really get going because there's plenty of indie titles that take an hour to get going of a 10 hour experience. But mm -hmm. like, I'm, I don't want to sit there for 10 to 15 hours trying to figure out when the game is actually going to pick up and get good. Like, yeah. And I, and I've, I, I didn't realize that that was a criticism of the Assassin's Creed franchise is that they were really, really slow to get going. I didn't realize that was a criticism because I've never really kind of felt that in the past. Mm -hmm. And I think, like I said, Odyssey seems to so far be a really good balance between teasing at a larger story, 
teasing at a larger world, but not giving everything away and letting you just progress at your own pace. And, you know, it's a very much like the Mass Effect 3 problem. Oh, my God, the universe is ending. You have no time. You got to go, go, go. It's like they don't do that here. You know, like no. there's there is a sense of something larger than yourself, but it's not propelling you in a world ending kind of a way. So it well, lets think- you just see things. And and I'm totally fine with the pace that things are going. Like they introduce all the systems to you right away. Like you get to see, mm-hmm. you know, you can ride your horse. You can fly with your eagle. There's, you know, a bounty hunter mercenary guy that comes after you really quickly. And, you know, you get to to do a fort and navigate through a fort in a stealth way or, you know, that you can do another area that's a, a side quest that's very much like just kill everybody however you decide yeah. to do that, you know? So it's very, it's a very good mix, like a very good tutorial, I guess, <laughs> of well, what the I game is going to where... be. And I think that it, it does a much, much better job because yeah. it doesn't give you, like in Origins, like I said, it threw you in with this big like vendetta revenge type story right away and then slammed on the brakes and was like, Oh wait, but you live in this little small town and blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't know. It was just, it was such a weird storytelling. Um, but Odyssey seems to, to do a much better job of that. Yeah. Oh, I agree. And I I think that's where I was going with it in that Odyssey just, it it addresses the same concern that people had, but it's just in a much better way where they don't overcorrect. They still drop you in, but it's a very simple, you know, story to get you going. And it's not this quick, you know, U-turn to kind of be like setting up a great thing and then saying, but really this is what we're going to focus on. And, and uh, having played a good chunk of, you know, a good chunk of the opening for Origins and a good chunk of the opening for Odyssey, the two game, they're, they're both very different in the way they, they treat their opening. I'm sure by the 20, 25 hour, 30 hour mark, they're very similar experiences with Odyssey having you know a couple extra flares thrown in because it's a newer game, uh, and I think people who played both would probably probably back that up. But I think you're right; like that's where Odyssey is just it shines a lot brighter because the opening is is better. And for you and me, like a, a, a strong opening is very important. For the like I said games. too, I also uh, one of my big sticking points for getting further into Origin was also the combat, and I felt mm. like um, for whatever reason the combat just felt better in Odyssey. I, I don't know why. Um, I know I played yeah. Origins with an Xbox controller on my PC and Odyssey I'm playing on my PS4, but normally I like the Xbox controller better. So I'm not sure if it was like the key combinations that didn't make sense or what, but yeah, I I'm finding this combat way. easier to pick up for whatever reason. Which is weird because, again, both games very similar uh, in, in the way they're set up, but I I completely agree. Odyssey just, you know, clicked faster for me and just felt less cumbersome <laughs> than mm-hmm. Origins. So I don't know, maybe they tweaked it just enough, but yeah, it's crazy. Uh, so yeah, overall so far, and I'm probably going to revisit Odyssey once I get a little bit further in the game so I can speak to it a little bit better. But uh, yeah, so overall, pretty positive i'm glad i picked it up and i'm gonna keep at it um but you have we have one more thing to talk about this week uh crackdown three you gave you gave this a shot but you didn't actually buy it right no no i (laughs) i have game pass so it's the way i kind of do game pass on the xbox one and pc is that they'll occasionally offer these you know one dollar for a month offers 
you know, and in this case it was $2 for two months, which is a steal for the amount of games they're throwing on there. They're not. So the thing is with game pass, like it's, it has been a while since they've put like a real, Oh, this is a great game. You know, like I would pay $80 for this. Like I think the last one would have been Forza horizon four, which was a stellar racing game. But again, I'm, you know, if you're not into racing games, that's a, that's a tough sell. But with game pass for like, a value of a dollar a month or if you get it even at the $12 a month level that's still a great value for being able to check out games from uh so crackdown 3 comes out you know this this is after me playing you know civilization anthem like big meaty experiences where you're having to pay attention to every nuance to understand what just what the heck is going on and i don't know if you've played a lot of like open world sort of, you know, romper shooters where you're just running around and tearing stuff up back in the, like the Xbox PlayStation era. Um, you know, the original GTA three, uh, well, the original crackdowns as well. Just some like, you know, old school open world shooter where you can turn your brain off at the door and just like run around and cause havoc. Mm-hmm. And that's what this game is. Like it's, it's not a, it's not like a triple A experience. It feels like, well, it's a sequel to a game with the second one, I think came out in gosh, it was an Xbox 360 game. So maybe it would have been like 20, 2011. And this feels like they didn't skip a beat and they released this in 2013. But of course, as you and I know, it's 2019 right now. So <laughs> the game formula does kind of stick out like a sore thumb. Like this feels like a game that should have been released five or six years ago. Um, it's still the game still looks okay in terms of the in the graphics department. It's it's serviceable, but the gameplay and the combat feels very last generation, um, but not in an awkward, broken way. Just in a by design, like you're running around, you're shooting things, uh, you know, enemies are spawning weirdly. Like driving feels very floaty, but for some reason, I just had fun after you know a long day of of work just sitting there turning it on and kind of just mindlessly working my way i was gonna say it's the turn your brain off thing because i i think a lot of people were talking about that with uh vermintide as well where it's like you just kind of go in and there's this like super satisfying gameplay loop that doesn't involve you doing quests or following story or anything else it's just you go in and you blow things up and that's all the game is and that's all you need sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And I, I've, I've really, I've played a couple nights this week and just, it's been a really great kind of just zone out experience. And a lot, you know, I don't know about you, but a lot of games we play these days aren't that, you know, they're very intense. They're very involving. I can't remember the last one. Like I kind of played that offered this type of experience where you're just kind of like zoning out and, actually relaxing while playing mm-hmm. a video game it's not it's not on the same level of, i think we play a lot of video games these days for entertainment values so like from an entertainment standpoint there's not a lot there like i think tonight before the show when i was playing i uh, to a dull roar and had an earbud in and was listening to podcasts while i was playing and i didn't care that i was missing dialogue because the story is frankly just like it's asinine like it doesn't matter like I don't know, you're you're invading this island, you're part of this agency group, your crew gets wiped out, so that's why there's only one of you, and that's why your level's been reset. 
And then you're on this island that's taken over by a bunch of warlords. So you're having to like run around and cause havoc to take over the island again. And it's like all these characters are over the top, but the, it's it totally, you could mute it and, and, and it wouldn't even matter. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, uh, my favorite part about the game. So, you know, with Crackdown, one of the big things was the agility orbs. So they hide these orbs around the world. And basically as you're progressing through the game, the idea is that the more you shoot, the more you drive, the more you you pick stuff up and throw it at like strength checks, like melee and stuff. The more you do that, the more um, experience you earn. So if you shoot a guy, a bunch of blue orbs will pop out of them and you soak those in and then you're like, your shooting level goes up a little bit. And if you punch a guy, red orbs pop out and so on and so forth. So the progression in the game, when I was starting, you felt very slow and laggy, but then as you traverse the world, collect more orbs, complete more missions. And the world is, there's enough stuff happening around where you just pick a direction and suddenly something is on the horizon that you can do. So it felt, it, it felt like a, like a, it felt like an open world, but it felt like there, there was a lot to do. So as I was progressing, like I felt like my character was getting, you know, stronger and faster. So th- there was that there, the progression was a lot of fun, but again, like it's just, it was a good zone out sort of, early 2010 video game experience and uh <laughs> so, so man, definitely yeah. not worth the the big price tag right do not buy this game definitely <laughs> check it out if you have game pass it works on both xbox one and pc i think like these days it's funny both games i talked about like don't buy full price like if you can get a sale like i did with anthem well i mean maybe i was gonna say maybe this is like part of the problem right is that um games coming out now have these like triple a titles but the people who build the games are not expecting anyone to pay the triple a title they're expecting Mm -hmm. people to pay these like monthly subscription things so Maybe that's why we're getting games that don't have the final couple of polished passes is because people are like, well, they're only going to pay $20 to play this and drop it after a month. Then, you know, why would we put the work in? I don't know. I, yeah. I'm not a game developer, so maybe I'm totally off base, but there's there's got to be some sort of impact there. Yeah, I don't think your opinion is wrong, and I kind of agree with it. Like, personally, I see what they're doing, like what Microsoft is doing with like Crackdown 3 and Sea of Thieves and, you know, even Forza for, to a certain extent, like offering it as part of a, of a service and giving you the option like to buy it or to play it as a service, even with EA, with Anthem. Um, and, and they didn't have the service around when, the, with Androm- when Andromeda launched, but I don't think that would be applicable in this sense, but a, but a service, a live game like Anthem being part of a subscription, I personally would rather have more spider-mans and less crackdown threes even if it's part of a service like i'd rather pay 80 dollars for a game i want to finish than a couple bucks for a subscription for a month to play a game that i'm only going to play for a couple hours like i do want that wholesome experience but i think in in the sense of crackdown three it was just i probably won't ever go back to it uh, before the show, I was even starting to hit that wall and I maybe played like four hours. So it's like, it's not a very captivating experience, but it is, there's something about it. So if you want to like revisit last generation's games with this generation's graphics, uh, it's Crackdown 3 is kind of your option. But again, like do not, do not pay full price for it. <laughs> Fair enough. 
Uh, so wanted to remind everybody you can go over to patreon.com slash the gamers in if you'd like to support the show. Uh, <laughs> Ryan puts out a Patreon mini every week to let you guys know, give you a sneak peek of what we might be talking about on each episode of the gamers in. So uh, don't forget to go and check that out. Also, a reminder that we are looking for our March patrons. So if you would like to be our patron of the month, again, go to patreon.com slash the gamers in and go and support the show there. Uh, we've got some odds and ends of news for you this week. So uh, Nintendo has announced that Pokemon Sword and Shield is going to be the new games that are coming to the Switch. So I know I saw a lot of I, I don't actually know if it's like the grass Pokemon, but the little like green monkey looking guy. I saw him all over Twitter. People were freaking out. Yeah, people are big fans of Grookey. Uh, it's, it's kind of typical of Pokemon to have like the three starters be they're your they're your tentpole like Pokemon in this game because they're the first Pokemon you, you come across and and have a, a choice you know of which one you want to take on but like I think all three are very strong in the internet sort of savvy way you've got a monkey a bunny and a surprise tadpole uh slash frog thing so I mean that's a pretty good sort I of really balance. like the I really like the little tadpole frog thing I think he's yeah. I think he's the cute one. <laughs> I I agree. Like I think he's just so shocked that yeah. <laughs> he is that cute. And I mean the monkey's pretty cool turn with with Pokemon, the starter Pokemon, is that they can quickly get out of hand in terms of their designs when they evolve. And and personally when it comes to Pokemon, like I need to I need to see what I'm signing up for. Not just mm. it's like what you bring home a pet alligator. It's cute for the first week. Then all of a sudden it evolves to its next form and you've got quite the snapper on your hands, right? So I I, I got to see what these guys look like in the next evolution before I can sign on to the to the Sobel, Sobe, Sobel uh, bandwagon. You know, that guy could be monstrous uh, in his third evolution. And like, it's kind of hard to flush him down the toilet at that point, right? Like, <laughs> So so when can we actually expect this new Pokemon? So they're looking late 2019. This is probably going to be their holiday release. Uh, Pokemon Let's Go came out in November of last year. So that seems to be a good window for the Pokemon <laughs> main series. For every game ever. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, this is probably Nintendo's big holiday release. Uh, I would think that like it's kind of weird that they have Animal Crossing lined up for this year as well. And I could see Animal Crossing being their early December release with this being their early November release. So kind of a double double whammy for the Black for Friday Christmas. slash Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of I think what we're we're lining up to on the switch with with this lineup. But yeah, I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of interested to see what these look like. I'm excited. Um, I think the graphics look great. It's kind of like a weird like the Pokemon stand out as cartoony, but the world in the background kind of looks more realistic mm -hmm. than what we're used to. So I'm kind of, I was kind of excited by that, but um, yeah, it's, it's a new mainline Pokemon game. It looks pretty good to me, you know, I'm sure yeah, Pokemon I'll, fans are stoked. Yeah. I'll probably pick this up. Um, it's been a while since I played a Pokemon game outside of go, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I think they look really, really cute. And I, and I want to see where this goes and, and you're right about the art style. It does look, a little bit more realistic and I'm wondering if they're trying to um, capitalize or like remind people about the whole Pokemon Go like 
um, augmented reality thing that you could do. You know, maybe they think people are used to seeing Pokemon on realistic grass and realistic, you know, stone backgrounds and stuff like that. Um, maybe that's they're trying to capitalize on that Pokemon Go aesthetic almost. Maybe. Yeah, I, I certainly felt that way when when I was watching the, the direct that they had for this. And I I mean, you know, Pokemon Let's Go had a sort of the cartoony look across the board, like an up like kind of a remastered Game Boy game. Mm-hmm. This looks to kind of keep the same engine in the way you're running around and visiting and interacting. But uh, the the background to to the world just looks more realistic, which is I'm I'm more than happy to see that. I think it's a good, a good shift for the, for the series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the other piece of news that we got in gaming, this or what we're choosing <laughs> to highlight this week sure. is the live action Sonic. All right. I, so here's the thing. There's been no trailer for the live action Sonic movie that's coming out in November of this year. It's kind of a, okay, first of all, before I go into it, what do you know of the Sonic the Hedgehog live action film coming out? Because there's some doozies with this one that have been, that have been sort of confirmed, like in terms of people in it, uh, you know, what it features, that sort of thing. Like what, what is your understanding? of? I know nothing. Okay. So a couple of quick hits. So Sonic the Hedgehog, it's a live action film. Sonic the Hedgehog will be animated, full CG animation. Uh, he's being voiced by the guy who dies all the time. No, 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 no. Sean sorry, Bean? sorry. Say he's being voiced by the guy in Westworld who dies all the time, but he's in an, in the movie. Uh, he's being voiced by, gosh, I can't even remember his name now, but he, shoot. He's the guy who looks like the guy from Stranger Things, which I know I'm not helping, but uh, <laughs> the guy that looks like the guy from Stranger Things. Okay, he, he was in. He, I, never mind. Let's move past that. He's, yeah, he's he's being voiced by I think by ben some Schwartz, guy, <laughs> by some guy, and Jim Carrey is playing a live action Doctor Robotnik, which I'm kind of excited about, but not. I don't know. Could be interesting, but what we're reacting to today is kind of like up until now, it's been like blurry images of what Sonic could look like. And this has been our first look at what, like, this is clearly concept art for what Sonic will look like in the film. Like, we don't have our full 3D renders because I doubt this is what would be in the film, but I guess it's pretty close. So, I don't know. Like, it looks kind of freaky to me. It looks like, it looks really super weird. So, his eyes are super messed up. It's almost like someone described what Sonic would look like to one of those like police sketch artists. <laughs> and then like, they'd never actually seen Sonic before. And this is the best they could come up with from a third party description. That's what this yeah. feels like to me. And it doesn't help because what we're looking at is clearly like a brand marketing slideshow that's been released. Like it's like what colors to use on the website and, and all that fun stuff. But my biggest thing is like, and a lot of people have pointed this out is that Sonic wears gloves. Sonic yes. wears gloves. Sonic has shoes. His legs are, his limbs are really thin and that's kind of his, his, his look in this, they've made his arms and legs kind of a little, like they've made them beefier. So 
they just they don't look like they would in the cartoon. But I guess if they wanted to basically make a lot like a like a a mutant hedgehog, I guess this is what it would look like. Yeah, I think that's the thing is that they they made his body look too much like a human body with Mm -hmm. with a hedgehog, like with the Sonic the Hedgehog head on top, which is a really, really weird look. Because he was like this, like stretched, like weirdly proportioned little hedgehog guy, um, with like you say the the kind of like exaggerated legs, but in like long and skinny, not big and beefy. And yeah, I don't know, but I mean, for me, it's the eyes. His eyes are way too small. <laughs> yeah, because his head appears bigger because of the hair, right? So it's tough to kind of see where his head ends and his hair starts. Um, and well, again, but even then, and the like, other thing too, it, if you look at like <coughs> where his, excuse me, where like the bottom of his ears are, if you take that as the top of his head, right. Then there's yeah. still like that forehead is as big as the whole rest of his head. Again, like his eyes start way too low and they're way too small. Even if they started, <laughs> if the bottoms of his eyes were there, if the bottoms of his eyes stayed in the same spot, but his eyes were like two to three times bigger, it would look much mm-hmm. more like the Sonic that I'm used to seeing. But it's like they just they yeah. tried to make him too humanistic, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but um, I understand in- that it's supposed to be a live action movie. But anytime you try to make a cartoon character look too realistic then i mean we talk about uncanny valley all the time on the show and that's almost what this looks like it's like Mm -hmm. it's not quite real but it's not far enough to be clearly fake so it's in this really weird i don't know what i'm looking at place (laughs) i think it's also tough because we're seeing a 2d representation of a 3d character in a live action film and i mean i'm not saying like playing devil's advocate here, maybe when the trailer comes out and they present it the way it's meant to be seen for the first time, maybe then we'll, we'll feel a little more comfortable. Like, I don't know if you've watched the the live action Pokemon trailers for detective Pikachu. When I first saw that, there was something weird about it. But then by the time the second trailer rolled around, I was kind of, I was kind of fine with it again. Like it kind of looked. Yeah. Cool. The like, detective Pikachu thing didn't bother me as much for some reason. And and maybe it is because again I'm not saying seeing the trailer the trailer could make this far worse but <laughs> m- maybe when we see the trailer we'll kind of walk back a bit but I think not knowing anything about the film and seeing like blurry images and now these like marketing stills like it's not it's not looking good I, I just don't see how you translate that to film and have it be good because like the whole live action CG mix. It's just, it's so hard to do right. Mm-hmm. And it's very rare. Like the only times I can think it's done like really well has been like Jurassic Park. Any of the Jurassic Park films have been like your bar for interacting with CG characters. And and even the new ones, not as great films, but like the consistency of the Jurassic Park movies from one all the way to this newest sequel, the interaction with dinosaurs have always just been really good. And that is a CG mixture with live action. And I've I've never had an issue with that. So that's your bar, but I, I don't know how this, 
even gets there. Like this just looks so weird. And I keep scrolling up and it's this giant image zoomed in on his head. Now I can't unsee his eyes problem. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Didn't mean <sighs> to ruin that, that one little thing for you, but if you guys Hollywood haven't has seen ruined it, it for me, yeah, if you guys haven't seen it, uh, you can go uh, check out, <laughs> I guess uh, we got our links from Polygon, but it's pretty much everywhere now. So you oh, can, it's the uh, album art. We're going to make the show. No. Oh, okay. There you go. Well, it'll be the album <laughs> art. So you can check out I the notes at <laughs> camersandpodcast.com, which pretty much brings us to the end of our show. Reminder, you guys, if you want to uh, touch base with Ryan and I or talk to anyone in our awesome community, you can do so on our Discord channel. It's bit.ly slash TGI Discord. You can also, if you'd like to see the album art, visit us on the web at gamersandpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. You can find me, Jocelyn, at Joss Plays. Ryan is at R. Murphy. And don't forget to follow the show at The Gamers In. Video versions of all our episodes are streamed on Thursdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash thegamersin. Normally, right now, we're not because I'm super sick and we had some tech issues and we're just like, mm. screw it. We're not doing it live this week. But uh, normally, it is on twitch.tv slash thegamersin. Thursdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, which is also where all the var- all the VODs will be after the fact. If you'd like to email the show and let us know that we're totally wrong about Civ 6 and Anthem and Odyssey and uh, what was the other thing we talked about? Crackdown 3? You can do so by emailing info at gamersandpodcast.com. Thanks for staying at the Gamers Inn. Remember, tune in next week. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone.